0: You walk through the garden, you better watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon, in Hour number two, kicking off here in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Keep the devil way down in the hole.
1: Sam, what do you got for us? Thanks, John. Some big news in college football this weekend uh bill o'brien the former ohio state offensive coordinator has been hired set to become the next head coach at boston college uh, after their head coach jeff halfley uh, took over the defensive coordinator position over at the green bay packers uh, bill o'brien will be headed back to the college game and will be getting a job with boston college it's an interesting one to me i i I kind of feel like I would have stayed at Ohio State, given you know the the roster that they've got incoming and some of the, you know all all the talent that they brought in with the portal. I feel like this is kind of a gamble for a guy that hasn't had the most success in his head coaching career.
0: I think Bill O'Brien just wants to be in charge. Yeah, loves being in charge. I just think Bill O'Brien wants to be a head coach, and I don't. I mean, he coached at Penn State during the sanctions. Mm-hmm. You know the Sandusky sanctions. So, like, that's kind of what Boston College always is. (laughs) Like, they're kind of always on those type of sanctions and feel like that type of program. If he can get them back to winning seven games, maybe he gets a bigger college coaching job. I don't know. I don't know what his goal is. But you saw the fallout from that led to Chip Kelly saying, hey, see you, UCLA. You want to fire me? You can't because I quit. I'm going to go be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State, which is kind of crazy. You know, you'll see some of these – Group 5 coaches leave their position to go be a coordinator at big school. This is the first time you've ever seen a Power 5 coach, at least that I can think of, a Power 5 coach leaving to go be a coordinator somewhere. Obviously, it makes sense from a place of self-preservation. UCLA had pretty much said we're firing Chip Kelly before the USC game. He won the USC game, so then they were kind of like, well, I guess we'll let you coach another year. But at that point, it was too late. I don't know if you saw UCLA finished, like, 72nd or something in recruiting. Yeah. They were
2: way down there. Kelly had pretty much melted in. Yeah, another note on uh, O'Brien, too, back to him for one second, is um, there is some backstory. He's, he has some uh, special needs children in his family, and all the doctors that they work with are based in the Boston area. Mm-hmm. So that okay. probably started back in his days with the Patriots sure. and all that. So. yeah. So I'm sure that that was a factor, I'm sure, you know, besides, you know, it's a familiar territory for him, and he wants a a head coaching job. But yeah, back to Kelly, too, that's, talk about kind of reinventing yourself. It's it's a weird place, and, and it also puts UCLA in a weird spot, in my opinion, too. It's like, I've seen some of the names that have come out for that job as candidates, it's I wouldn't say they're high profile. <laughs> Who have you seen mentioned? I, well, the first first name I saw was PJ Fleck, and he's—I've heard he's already out. Okay, yeah, okay, I haven't seen. He's already said not interested. But um, and Sam, you chime in if there's others. You David Shaw, and then it's like they're talking to this Brian Brennan guy that took the uh, Arizona job from San Jose State. There, that's another one that I mean, he's it's it's very low profile names. Uh, Tony White, who apparently played at UCLA, he's a coordinator at Nebraska. So, I don't know, to me, and maybe this goes back to my time living in L.A., and back then it was UCLA and USC were such high-profile programs, both of them were. Now it feels like, I don't know, it just feels like UCLA's kind of being lost in the shuffle here.
1: I've seen this uh, Troy Taylor. He's the he's the coach of Stanford right now. He's, you know, it's kind of was his first year he was the head coach over at sacramento state for three years but that's a that's a name that i've seen floated around but yeah it seems like they've kind of missed out on the big name candidates a little bit UCLA's dead
2: yeah i mean david shaw if they could get david shaw i would jump at that but
1: i've seen tommy reese too yeah i've seen that <laughs> too
2: i'm glad you brought that up i forgot about tommy reese and saying like he would be perfect for the job it's like how so why would you say that
0: they're dead yeah, yeah. they're dead it's over for UCLA. They are going to the Big Ten, and they're going to be the doormat in the Big Ten, and they're going to be in trouble. Like, they're closer to Virginia now as far as I'm concerned. Uh, a school that, you know, with the academics and, and, and not being the number one school in their state and fighting uphill and, and maybe not being a cultural fit to wherever they're at. So maybe like a Rutgers as well. Like, that seems a little extreme to call them Rutgers, but like, they they seem like a fish out of water in the Big Ten, and you know the the lack of talent, no coaches. <laughs> seems like
2: they're dead. I like Kelly's move. To be honest with you, um, if he if he really if it's really about not just running from UCLA and is more like, no man, I want to get back to coaching ball and doing what I do, which is offense. And
0: he desperately was looking for somewhere to go. Right, like he wanted an yeah. NFL offensive coordinating job. The thing is, I don't know if he's any good anymore. I don't know if he's any yeah. good anymore. Like, he's not innovative. The 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 big appeal of Chip Kelly was, hey, I go really fast. I run a spread offense. Hurry up. These teams don't know what to do with it because they're big and slow. Well, now everyone runs that. And once people caught up, it was like he had no other gear. I don't see him ever getting another head coaching job in the NFL. As you saw, everyone passed on him as a coordinator in the NFL. Because he couldn't get along with the professionals. So, like, when I asked about what Bill O'Brien's in game is, maybe he just wants to be the head coach at Boston College. I also wonder what Chip Kelly's in game is. Just be a high paid coordinator? Okay. I don't think there's going to be any other big time program that gives you the keys to be a head coach. Because you didn't necessarily crush it at UCLA. Anyways, what else did we miss, Sam?
1: Uh, some more college news. Uh, this one coming out of good old Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, there. Once was offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb from Washington will be headed back out west. Uh, He is going to be the new Seattle Seahawks offensive coordinator with Mike McDonald out there. They have also uh, since then finalized the hire of Scott Huff, who was their offensive line coach. So Alabama is now going to be without the offensive coordinator and the offensive line coach that they brought back uh, from Washington with the board. They're going to be headed back over. Uh, to the Seattle area.
0: Yeah, a little shady, too. A little shady. It, the report's coming out that basically this was just a stopgap. just basically doing him a favor, staying until the 30-day window ended. hmm Yeah. To, to quit the pillaging or to quit the uh, attrition inside the Alabama locker room when they had no offensive coordinators. Like, hey, we're getting this guy in place. And I don't know if Ryan Grubb was a big name. I, don't I think who, it was a big
1: get to just who be was able to he, get
0: him. Who was he? Was he just the guy that came? He, did he come from Washington? Yeah, with? he
1: was. He was their yeah. offensive coordinator. Okay, so Washington. I mean, like,
0: I don't know how much people knew about him, you know, prior to DeBoer getting hired at Alabama. Because I just kind of gave DeBoer credit for that offense. I, I'll be honest, I didn't really know who Grubb was, but obviously sought out, sought out, uh, sought uh, after enough to get the head uh, the coordinating job with the professional team in Seattle. So he does have a high standing there.
1: He's been with DeBoer all throughout it. Like, he, he started with him at Sioux Falls, wherever okay. he started, went to Eastern Michigan, Fresno, well, and Washington. Yeah, so.
0: Maybe he's the key. Maybe he's the the actual master of that offense. Maybe DeBoer will be useless without him. I don't know. But, like, yeah, just to leave the day of or the night before, it came out basically at 11 o'clock at night on Friday. Yeah. And then the window closed on Saturday. just felt, felt icky. Yeah. Felt dirty. Yeah.
1: What else? We got uh a little bit of NFL uh trade news. Hassan Reddick from the Eagles has requested a trade and they have given him permission to seek a trade. Uh this one's interesting. This is a guy that's that's been really productive, I feel like, and and since he's, you know, since he's signed that contract with Philly, um, you know, signed a 3-year, 45 million dollar deal, um had 16 sacks in the 2022 season. Double-digit sacks, uh, 11 this year. So he's had four consecutive seasons with double-digit sacks. It's a productive member of that Eagles D-line looking to get out of there.
0: Yeah, the Eagles, I imagine, are going to be like most NFL teams that are good. Eventually the the bill comes due and you got to start paying guys. So we'll see some guys get traded off of Buffalo, a team that fell short. Same as the Eagles, a team that fell up
1: short. Lastly... She didn't do it, John. Caitlin Clark fell short. She'll be able to do it at home. I turned
0: it on. I turned it on and watched the last five minutes. She, she had 31 points and was eight points away. I was watching. Scoreless in the fourth. Then she just kept not scoring, and, and Nebraska kept chipping away. And then it, it ended with a girl from Nebraska hitting a three. And then mocking Caitlin Clark with uh, the John Cena slash yeah. Tony Ayo, you can't see me. And, and then Caitlin Clark
2: couldn't really get a shot off.
0: She couldn't really get open down the stretch.
2: I uh I, I ended up watching almost that whole game. I have to admit, um, because I was fascinated by the story, and I figured for sure after three quarters she was going to get it there um, because she was she was controlling the game. And that I almost think you could see it too. I think Iowa was trying too hard to get her the record then. It felt like, and it kind of discombobulated their offense. And Nebraska crept back in, and then yeah, towards the end, then Nebraska was. They were wound up, and so then they really locked her down. She really couldn't get a shot off.
0: Yeah, yeah. So now she'll do it next game at home, and she's a needle mover, though, man. Like she made you want to go watch. And I don't know if you saw the videos and pictures before of the, them lined up yeah. six blocks away, trying to get inside the the arena to watch them play.
2: I think it was six blocks, maybe three blocks, but they were lined up. No, was of, it was a lot it, of
0: people wanting to get in to watch that game. At Nebraska.
2: Said the game had been sold out for six weeks and um and then that line that they showed that was hours before the game. Not yeah. you know, I mean they they talked about how I think it's cool how, you know, little girls were there with their family, like this was this was a Christmas gift. You know, that was all they wanted was a chance to go see her play. So you're right, she's definitely a needle mover.
0: We'll talk some college hoops after the break, Tennessee took a bad L. Bad, bad L. It's been an hour and fifteen minutes. I guess it's time to talk about it. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.
1: Before
0: we get before we get to the uh, Falls Texas A&M game, this all a breakdown of quotes from the Ringer about the overtime rules in the Super Bowl. We didn't get into the debate about whether or not Shanahan should have taken the ball first or second. Bob, did you have a take while watching it? I guess, I guess you didn't really know the rules, you know, the difference between, like, the touchdown right. didn't end it, so you didn't have that debate in your head. And I guess knowing what you know now, do you think it was the right call to take the ball first? Because he was like, hey, you know, we wanted to get out there. And we really wanted to say, you know, in case both teams scored, we wanted that third possession that would be sudden death. That's why we took it.
2: I think, knowing what I know now, I would have uh, deferred.
0: Sam, would you have deferred as well? Because the the extra fourth down matters. And, of course, the Chiefs went for a fourth down on like their own like 34-yard line, which maybe they wouldn't have done if they were getting the ball first.
1: To me, I think he took the ball because he didn't want Purdy to have the pressure of maybe needing to score a touchdown if Mahomes went down and scored first.
0: I don't know, but I, I see this tidbit from the ringer. Which, I'll quickly read this. Says the Chiefs' overtime plan worked exactly like they hoped. Kansas City safety Justin Reed, no relation to me, told the Ringer that the Chiefs had first discussed the new overtime rules as far back as training camp. Chris Jones told me players were prepared for what to expect if the Super Bowl went to overtime. We talked through this for two weeks how we was going to give the ball to the opponent. If they scored, we was going to go for two at the end of the game. We rehearsed it. and Then you flip that to the other side. Multiple San Francisco players said after the game that they were not aware that the overtime rules are different in the playoffs (laughs) than they are in the regular season. And strategy discussions over how to handle the overtime period did not occur as a team. Eric Armstead said he learned the details of the postseason rule when it was shown on the Allegiant Stadium Jumbotron during a TV timeout after regulation. Kyle Juszczyk said he assumed the 49ers asked to receive when they won the toss because that's what you do in the regular season when a touchdown wins the game. Quote, I guess that's not the case. I don't really know the strategy, Juszczyk (laughs) said. Okay, yeah, so like... The right team won the Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah. The The right team won the Super Bowl. That's the last we'll say about the Super Bowl in this hour. But the right team won.
1: That's also how sure the Chiefs are that they're getting back to the Super Bowl. They start talking about playoff Super Bowl overtime rules in training camp.
0: Well, quite frankly, the 49ers <laughs> should have known they would be a threat, too.
1: Yeah. 100%. They were in the 100%. NFC Championship
0: game last 100%. year and thought, like, hey, if, if Brock Purdy didn't lose his arm or the filling in his arm and the ability to throw the football, they might have beaten the Eagles and been in the Super Bowl, so they should have been prepping for that too. It wasn't like there was some spunky, upstart, Cincinnati bingle-like story where are like, oh, my God, we're so happy to be here. Yeah, the right team won.
2: It's a curse of the flat bill.
0: I'm, t- it, I'm telling you, Andy <laughs> Reid doesn't wear a flat bill hat. He was preparing for the Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan, flat bill hat, has no idea, just going off vibes.
2: Just a cool guy going off vibes. That, I'm telling you, that it was funny. It made me laugh because, again, the, the women at the get-together I was at, they brought that up. They were like, what's up with the hat, the flat bill? It's like, funny you ask. We've been talking about
1: that. First when he puts the hood up, too. <laughs> he's got the flat bill and the hood on, and he's just got the little play sheet in front of him. Yeah. Okay, Tennessee,
0: Texas A&M. We will switch gears. Ryan Shumpert will join us. Do we have to at eight thirty? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, no, we don't have to. We can keep talking the Super Bowl. No. I, I got more Kyle Shanahan thoughts, but because I, honestly, I don't really know what to say about the Texas A M and game other than it was a colossal disaster and a wasted opportunity, and you dropped the ball and you you no showed and laid an egg. Like I, I don't know what else to say about that game, Bob try your luck at it because I was disappointed with the performance. Of course, it's a bad loss. It's a sickening loss. It's one that makes you lose a little confidence in the team. On the other hand, it's a road loss to a tournament bubble team that's talented and good. And, you know, not a reason to absolutely panic, but one that makes you question, you know, everything you've
2: been watching prior to that game. Well, yesterday I was trying to convince myself, um, even when I was on the Sunday show, I was trying to convince myself that we we had talked on Friday about that parallel fight for that number one seed. We were gonna be paying close attention, not just to the Vols, but to Arizona. Well, that makes it even feel worse because Arizona went and took care of business. I mean, they ran Colorado off the floor.
0: As uh, underdogs, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On short notice. Like Yeah. yeah. Triple yeah. Overtime, up yeah. in the mountains elevation, altitude, all those things, didn't matter. They just absolutely dominated that Colorado team. Meanwhile, we got dominated by Texas A&M. So right. I don't want to say the one-seed dreams are dead, but they're on life support. Yeah, and so
2: I agree. And, and so then I, I thought, you know, there's the whole statistic, that you know, the top 10 teams on the road versus unranked teams. We've been talking about that for a few weeks now. It's there are more losses than wins, 33 losses against 32 wins. Um, for top 10 teams when they go on the road against unranked teams okay highest win percentage for unranked teams in 14 years uh and then I looked back and I was again trying to rationalize you look you just have to go back to last year and look that Connecticut Yukon in the month of January they were three and five okay and you know got swept by Marquette had eight losses but they won a national title so it's not that bad I I just feel like now, as it's settled a little longer, it's, it, it was a, it's a painful loss for sure. But to your point, John, it's a costly one, too. Because now, now if they really want to win the regular season conference title, I feel like they have to almost win out at this point. Just because Alabama's taking care of business, they seem dialed in. We talked about that over-under of one-and-a-half losses for them the rest of the way. That's probably accurate uh, to take the under. They, yeah. they may lose once, Um so it, it it it's it's one that it hurts, man. It really hurts. And and A and M, we've talked about this too. A and M was a preseason favorite, one of the top two teams in the conference. So they have talent. We know that. They just hadn't gotten right. Unfortunately, they got right against our guys. They're guards. They're guards killed us and then that, An- that anderson garcia dude looked like a dennis Rob- rodman reincarnate you know 17 boards he had as many offensive rebounds as tennessee had as a team
0: off the bench 17 yeah. boards
2: yeah and we knew all of this remember polinsky talked about it about the offensive boards and everything else top offensive rebounding team in the country so you would think you would think that there's some level of preparation to try to lock some of that down it just didn't feel like preparation was there
0: well, look, he's a friend of the program. love Rick Barnes. I didn't understand playing Meshack only exactly. two minutes in the first half or even maybe even a minute in the first half. Like, I understand he didn't necessarily have the, the best start. You know, he came in and picked up a couple of uh, bad fouls and wasn't great. but like, he's your stopper, and you need a stopper because Wade Taylor was locked in and hitting every shot, and you needed a stopper out there. You needed a hustle guy to maybe to keep Garcia off the board, somebody that was willing to box out. I thought he deserved more minutes, or I thought he should have played more minutes than he did. Now, he played a lot of the second half. He ended up with 17 minutes in the game. Yeah. So, so Barnes tried to make that adjustment, but Tennessee offensively couldn't get it going. I, I know it says they scored 41 points, but felt like 12 of those were in garbage time it felt like you know a lot of connects points i felt like we're in garbage time he had 12 points and i think scored 10 over the last couple minutes when tennessee was clearly not going to win i was a little surprised that tennessee stayed with the starters and fouling and trying so long but yeah i guess it's a never give up mentality and then i don't know but
2: yeah a lot of empty calories as i would call them for connect i yeah. I, I didn't quite get it the the other thing too, he was bad he was bad on uh saturday night yeah he was um you know, Jimmy Dykes said early that his belief was Tennessee was going to try to amp up the pace and you know really move the ball. Well, once they weren't hitting shots, once we saw how aggressive a was on the boards and the way A&M was hitting at the beginning of the the game, I actually would have liked to have seen a little back to the future. I would have liked to have seen Tennessee maybe slow the try to slow them down a little bit, um, but they kept going with this up tempo piece that. It just, it didn't, it didn't work, clearly, and um, I, I agree with you on Mayshack because when he was in there, it was late in the game, it didn't matter as much, but I mean, he was, man, he was fighting underneath, I mean, he was getting offensive boards, getting buckets, we needed that earlier, and, it, and there were moments where Zakai, to me, picked up the pace in the second half, again, maybe too little, too late, but... Um, where Zakai looked like about a ten-year-old against their guards, they were they were being physical with him for sure.
0: It was a bad Zakai game. You know the the final numbers for him and Connect both don't look bad when you just say, oh, twenty-two points and seven rebounds for Connect yeah. and six threes. Wow! And with Zakai, fifteen points and six rebounds and six assists. Those are solid numbers, but they they didn't pass the eye test. Uh, neither one of them. Yeah. No one. No one on Tennessee did. Like that. That was the frustrating part. Or maybe that's what makes it easy to flush. It's just like you played, quite frankly, the worst game maybe that you could have in terms of you got dominated by one guy on the boards. You had nobody offensively that you could rely on. Connect was back to missing free throws. He was 4 of 9 from the free throw line and 6 of 11 from 3. I don't understand how that makes sense. You missed (laughs) five shots on both. I don't understand how that makes sense. One's way tougher and you're guarded.
1: Were you surprised that? how much he got sat, just how bad the team was playing as a whole and, like, how much of a hole you were in. Like, that's kind of the, you know, it's one of the only guys that can shoot you out of a hole maybe.
0: Yeah, like, I'll be honest. This was one of those games that it was a Saturday night and I went out with friends to watch it. And, like, it's one of those, like, you you DVR and you plan on watching the next day to, like, actually get the intricacies of the game, Sam. But once, like, you lived it once, for me it was enough. I was like, you know what? You got your ass kicked the entire game. Like, you didn't even really make a run in the second half to ever really get close, right? I mean, what was, what was the closest you even got in the second half? Did, Did you th- get it to single digits no, ever? Because they no, came out and I don't they. I think so. it might have
1: been 10. Maybe. I, I want to say 12. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, like, I didn't even bother to rewatch to get the intric- intricacies of it because it was so painful. I was like, I, I'm not rewatching this. So, I don't know what connect was I see. He had four fouls. I don't know if some of his minutes yeah, were he was about in trouble foul trouble or, or what. Can't give you an honest answer here, Sam, because I was
2: watching and I was like, this is ugly. You see him and Barnes barking at each
0: other. That's what
1: I thought it was. I thought he was maybe just trying to send a message, lose the battle, win the war, type of thing. Like yeah. you're already losing by twenty points, you're not gonna come back. Like yeah. send him a message and kind of get him back on the right track.
2: And I think you are right. I think twelve was the closest they got, and that's when AM got their bucket and then Buzz Williams ran out to freaking half court <laughs> yeah. to call timeout and that
0: was around the three minute mark though, right? Yeah, I mean, was yeah like it, there isn't much. You were like up that. against time at that point, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, Tennessee went 8 of 29 from the three-point line. And I told you Dalton Connect was 6 of 11. So, I'll give you time to do math there. Yeah, 8 minus 6 is 2. Eight. two 29 minus 11 yep. is 18. It's good stuff. So, like, your guy's not named Dalton Connect. And I think even a couple of his was in garbage time. I think he hit two or three threes yeah. at least in garbage time. But, like, the rest of your team was 2 of 18. So that lets you know what how everyone else played. Santi non-existent, Josiah non-existent, Gainey non-existent, Zakai one of eight.
2: Gainey had more minutes than Meshack too. Just blows my mind.
0: Yeah, like you know, I want to come off as like a Meshack apologist because I don't. He's not a perfect player by any means, but like. He did feel like he was fit for this game against A and M, like that he could meet the task, answer the bell.
1: If someone can put out a fire on our defense, like that's gonna be that's gonna exactly.
0: Be. Yeah, or just like play hard. And he grabbed five offensive rebounds. Your team had twelve as a whole, and he had he had five of them, and that was on what thirty nine missed shots. I I don't know, like so. A, I don't want to come off like I have real strong takes about this game because, like I said, it was one of those I, I just kind of flushed. It was a Saturday night game. You lost. The team didn't show up. I'm not going to go put in more work than the team did. I watched it once. That's almost more than they did because uh, some of those guys seemed like they were only in for half the game. Halfway focused, so I'm not going to go put the real homework in. It seemed bad, and it seemed like a wasted opportunity. And like If you were disgusted watching the game,
2: I think you had the right takeaway. Last thing I'll say is it mattered. Obviously, it mattered to A and M for a lot of reasons, but they they went up in their Ken Palm ranking like ten or eleven spots. I mean, it was it was a very valuable win for them.
0: And we had mentioned that it was a resume builder. It was a resume win for A and M. You know, Polinsky talks about how you sell out when you when Tennessee goes on the road. People pack right. the stands and want to beat them. Well, it's because you have a chance to to bolster your resume. And A and M goes from a a 10 seed maybe to a 7 seed, which, you know, isn't that big of a difference just yet. But if you can start winning a couple more and get on track, you know, you can see AM work themselves back to being a, a 5 or a 16. That gives you a chance to realistically make a sweet 16. So it was a resume win. However, big picture stuff. Tennessee came into the game 12-1 to one to win the national championship. They come out of it 12-1 to one to win the national championship. Now you're tied with Arizona, who goes from 15 to 12, but you're still right there. So nothing drastically changed there. However, when it comes to conference championships, Sam, I I told you to write it down for us to put some money on it. Alabama went from plus 340 to win the SEC to now they're the favorite coming out of the weekend at plus 130. We had a chance. I told you all last week. Alabama plus 340. Value, value, value. Tennessee neck and neck with Auburn at plus 260 and plus 270. What's South Carolina at? Plus seven fifty. That might be worth the flyer. Perhaps we'll talk with Ryan Schumpert, Rocky Top Insider. A little read and react with RTI coming up after the break. Ever been? This appearance by Ryan Shumpert brought to you by SM Athletics. Spring is here. That means the spring sports are getting ready to fire up. Baseball, softball, AAU basketball, track and field. If you have uniform, equipment, screen print, or embroidery needs for the upcoming season, give SM Athletics a call. Excellent customer service. Great products at a fair price. And when they say it is done, it's done right and on time every time. Don't chance it with unreliable mega stores with no skin in the game or online orders who look at you just as an order number. Give SM Athletics a call today at 865 966 3434. That's 865 966 Shaq on the Lakers, Shaq on the Lakers, or visit
2: SMAthletics.com. So it's time to read and react we uh we've got a basketball game that we probably still need to talk a little about and get some insight from our guy Ryan Schumpert with Rocky Top Insider. Hey Ryan, welcome back. And uh also I know we were texting a little last night. Um you had to be a little torn. You had to I know I know you you're a you're a preparation guy. You were probably uh putting together some sort of uh Jawan Jennings, Super Bowl MVP piece, right? I've seen some stuff on the site, but uh, that was a tough one. You probably had to be thinking about how to write this if he had won, if the Niners win and he wins the MVP, which could have very well happened.
3: No doubt, yeah. Actually, Rick was – Rick beat me to the punch, and we were kind of texting about it. And really, I think I first thought about it more when McCaffrey was kind of going off on that last – or that first drive of overtime, the 49ers' last drive, and I was like, well, maybe Jawan won't win if San Francisco wins. So I said, well, we can turn this into a Jawan Jennings snub piece, or worst-case scenario, if the Chiefs win, we can turn it into a Jawan Jennings' uh, stars in the Super Bowl. So I think that ended up being its final form. Uh, so not all Rick's hard work was for nothing.
0: Ryan, did you know a lot of the Usher songs?
3: <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I didn't even watch the halftime performance. Um What? So I I guess I don't have much insight on that. I was in uh, Ryan Silvio with Vol Report, put a little betting pool together that had a lot of props and picks, and he was $5, and he just picked all of them. And he had like what's going to be the first usher song. They probably had seven or eight of them on there, and I I only knew maybe half of them. So kind of, uh, but but not a huge fan by any means.
0: Yeah, back to making me feel a little old in terms of that being the demo. I'm, I'm the target demo. I'm the target demo now for the Super Bowl. Halftime show it makes me feel old. Alright, Ryan, what's the big takeaway from Tennessee getting their ass kicked at college station?
3: I think it's kind of just that that Tennessee got, you know, really got it handed to them and uh, got dominated. You know, obviously Tennessee had some games this year where they didn't play well, but really the first game all the season they weren't competitive in, and they were really never competitive in it. I mean it's to me that felt like the biggest part of the game was AM starts. Red, red hot from three. You knew that wasn't going to happen. And a and M, I I think, gets, gets to eight of 11 from deep with like seven and a half minutes left in the first half. And A&M's up by 14. And at that point, you know, Tennessee's not playing great, but there's a lot of bad luck that goes into that, too. A&M shooting that well. And I, I, I kind of felt like Tennessee can get this thing to single digits at halftime. They'll have a great chance here. Well, A&M doesn't make another three-pointer in the final seven and a half minutes of the first half. And Tennessee goes into halftime still down 14. And to me, that was kind of the story of the game. Tennessee falls behind because of hot A&M shooting, but that was far, far from Tennessee's biggest issue. Uh, They really never made much of a true run, and you kind of saw their offense with her uh, for the second time in four games, and you saw their defense really struggle uh, to stay in front of Wade Taylor and Tyrese Rafford.
2: Hey, Ryan, one of the things I was talking about before we brought you on for this segment when we talked about this game, painful as it was, was I had a theory, and I want to see if – you agree with this at all and that was at the beginning of the game Jimmy Dykes made a comment that what he felt Coach Barnes and Tennessee wanted to do was really amp up the pace of the game you know just have more possessions than A&M kind of keep moving Tennessee was not shooting well as you just mentioned A&M was shooting very well not to mention they came out with An edge on the boards right off the bat I mean they they absolutely took it to Tennessee from a rebounding perspective and so I would counter that maybe as much as I don't want to say this that maybe it's it's like throwback to last season's team would there have been a benefit to just slow this thing down a little bit you know and uh might be less entertaining to watch but boy what was going on Saturday night sure wasn't entertaining anyway um any thoughts on that
3: Yeah, I mean, I can see the logic of it, just because, one, the way Tennessee played last year, you probably set yourself up to be better on the glass, but in in the end, I don't really think it would have made a huge difference, and the fact that A&M hit all those shots and Tennessee couldn't get stops, after the first, I don't know, six or seven minutes of the game, I felt like the pace really did slow down, at least until the last ten minutes when Tennessee kind of started pressing, um, and really trying to speed it up and get as many possessions in as possible, so, you know, I don't think that was a a massive, massive deal, um, but Certainly, when you play fast and you can't score, and I mean, one thing that really stood out in those first five or six minutes, I think there was maybe back-to-back possessions or a couple possessions and, or two possessions and a couple possessions where Dalton Connect had, you know, shots in transition at the basket where he's he usually making those at a 75% clip. He wasn't making those. I think it was his first game all year. He didn't hit a two-pointer. And Tennessee's guards really struggled to score in transition. That's the reason they've been good in transition, mainly just Dalton Connect. Being so good at finishing at the basket when that wasn't going to happen or wasn't happening, uh, you knew Tennessee's ability to be effective, speeding up the game, uh, was really going to be much much less than it has been in some of these games.
0: As college basketball, you're allowed a stinker, but still, like it was just jarring to see the team never even look like it was close to making a comeback. At least it felt that way. Have you lost confidence in this team, or is it one that you just try to flush and say, okay, that's not who they are?
3: You know, I think you kind of flush it and move on. It's one you put in the back of your head, for sure. Um, but, I think you see a lot of college basketball teams. What, Purdue and UConn, maybe the only two teams in the country that have avoided a game like this. Uh, so, I wrote about it yesterday. I think it's something that it matters a lot, lot more to Tennessee's chances of trying to win the SEC. And in that aspect, it's a real negative that you lost the game, uh, and really I think you'd probably point to the South Carolina game being the one that's more costly, but certainly a worse performance of the year when you keep in the back of your mind if Tennessee does start to, to struggle a little bit here in these next whatever it is, four games now where they're playing lesser opponents so they are not coming out and stepping on teams next and they're having to play a lot of close games. I think it's kind of when you think about it, maybe this team starting to struggle a little bit, but just on its surface, I don't think I necessarily hit the panic button when it, as far as it comes to Tennessee achieving the goals they want to achieve in the NCAA tournament.
0: Yeah, Tennessee went into, what, Thursday night as a projected one seed. You know, they went there as the fourth one seed. Coming out of the weekend, they're down to being the second two seed. So sixth overall. So not a lot of damage done, you know, to the resume and, and to the projections. I think it's mostly, I throw this word around, it's just a, it's a deflating loss and right now the vibes are low. The vibes are low on the team is how I feel. When you watch the last, you know, maybe couple weeks of performances, do you think the Jonas A. surge is over when it comes to his offensive production?
3: That's a good question. I think that's maybe the biggest question you have to leave this last four-game stretch with because Tennessee's offense is, you know, South Carolina A&M game has not looked very good, and you kind of hope that the two things that would keep you from having those Bad stretches with Dalton Connect and just his brilliance and part of it being his ability to score at the basket. and The other one just being Jonas Adu and having an interior scoring threat. And he's, he's struggled. I, I don't think I would necessarily say that it's over. I think the, you'll we've seen that, what, the first four or five games of SEC play, he was averaging 17, 18 points. I think we're seeing that that's not him. He's not going to do that consistently. I think he's still capable of that. And what you got to get back to is him being a guy that gives you consistently 14 or 15 points a game and not 8, 10 points on anywhere from 7 to 11 shots in these games where he's struggling.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's gone from, nine, you know, basically since the Alabama game, we had 19 points and was dominant, 9 points, 6 points, 11 points against Kentucky on 13 shots, 10 points, 6 points. It's, it's been pretty frustrating. Uh, like you said, you're not asking for the, the 19 or 20 points, but 12 to 14 seems to be the number Tennessee's going to need from him.
3: A hundred percent. And especially just in in games like the other night. And you know, Tennessee's one of the biggest takeaways, or maybe not takeaways, but things watching the game is you know, Tennessee couldn't penetrate. The way Texas A and M was switching ball screens, Tennessee couldn't could really not get anything downhill with their guards. And I think it, to some extent Tennessee anticipated that. Watching Washington practice on Friday. Uh, the big emphasis is when they got those switches on the off-ball screens to throw the ball down low to Jonas Adu and Tobey and I don't think it's necessarily all Jonas Adu and Tobey Awaka's fault. Cause I don't think they got him the ball at a high enough clip. But for that to clearly, been it's not the game plan, an emphasis, an answer to Texas A&M's defense. And then to get whatever it was, a combined eight total shots from those two guys and I think eight or ten total points, uh, it's definitely a big disappointment, especially when you're talking about Adu being a guy that can – be a little bit more of a slump buster for Tennessee in these games where they don't shoot well compared to where they really didn't have that in the last couple seasons.
2: You know, you talk about the guards, and obviously Taylor and Radford were playing at a different level on Saturday night, and I think about Sakai. We, we talked about this a little earlier, too, that there were moments when I was watching where it felt like Zakai looked like he was about ten years old out there against those guys. From a physicality standpoint, they're just bigger and you know stronger, and they were definitely applying pressure. So my question is about Zakai. He played all forty minutes, and in a game where honestly, honestly, the outcome was not in much doubt. You know, it cut it to twelve with three or four minutes to go, but uh, that took everything, and the team had to get there. Do you feel that that is just a byproduct at this point, that Barnes just doesn't have any confidence in anyone else to come in? I mean, because there's always, it's well chronicled about Sakai getting too many minutes and is he going to be, you know, is he going to hit a wall by tournament time and all these other things? That's all I could think about is in a game where he wasn't playing that well and the team as, as a whole was not playing that well, likely to lose, why is he playing every minute of the game?
0: He left him speechless. Ryan Shumpert, RockyTopInsider.com. dot <laughs> com. He said, "You're not going to get me to to bash Rick Barnes and playing Zakai forty minutes. I'm out of here." Ryan, appreciate. Uh, I got.
3: I'm back. I think I got gotcha. you.
0: Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Bob was asking about Zakai playing all forty minutes of the game, and whether or not that means he a- lost confidence in the rest of the guys.
3: Well, I, I definitely think that you say lost confidence. I'm not sure he really ever had confidence in yeah. anybody else when it comes to it comes to playing point guard. Um so yeah, I mean I think he's the safety blanket and you see it all the time that time and score and games being out of hand, I, I don't think that's something that you know, I think that's something you could say is a pretty big weakness of Barnes. I mean you see it all the time the games they're up by twenty and they're still playing the starters, they're still playing the guy who's played thirty six minutes in the last Two minutes, three minutes of the game. So right. uh, I don't think that's necessarily something they lost more than just something they, you know, they haven't had a backup point guard on the roster the last two. Years. Uh, you occasionally really see the, the struggle of that. So uh, you know, Rick Barnes talked about the guy not wanting to come out. You know, I think you got to take him out anyway, especially like you said in a game they got out of hand. To me, the thing I would point to with the with the minutes and the rotation in that game is that I just. I just couldn't get past how he missed Jordan Ganey played uh, compared to Jemai Meshack specifically, especially in the first half. And then Ganey played 11 and Meshack played one. And it was like, Meshack, good defensively on a game. He couldn't stop anybody off the dribble. He's a physical guy on the glass that's going to help you in a game that A&M's hitting the glass hard. I don't know. I left that game, even though the Kai Ziegler didn't play very well, I left that game feeling like the Kai Ziegler and learned, Jemai Meshack were the two guys that brought the, the intensity uh, that it was going to take for Tennessee to win. And, I found myself a little befuddled at watching Jeremiah Meshack sit on the bench as much as he did, especially game where Jordan Ganey wasn't bringing anything offensively.
0: Ryan Schumper, RockyTopInsider.com. We appreciate his time as always. Ryan on the way out, over under 3.5. The number of wins for Tennessee in their next four games. The next four games at Arkansas, home for Vanderbilt at Missouri, and a rematch at home against Texas A&M. Over under 3.5 wins.
3: I think over. I think they run the table and and give themselves a chance in that final tough four-game stretch to to at least get a share of the SEC title.
0: Well, last week I asked you that about the six games, and you said five and one. So, if they run the table, you will have been correct. Ryan, appreciate your time as always. Yeah,
3: appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you, man.
0: Quick timeout, Sam. We'll come back. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. That's a joke. That's a joke. I got to say, I just want to point out Bob, when you're talking about the backup point guard position and the bench and everything, I just just want to point out we still have yet to lose a game when my boy Cam Carr plays.
2: <laughs> he he could have fit right into that game, honestly. There was there I mean, he could have played for A&M. I mean, that's they were playing like their hair was on fire, man. Perfect 8-0. A perfect 8-0 when he plays this
0: year. Now, you know course a lot of those games are probably blowouts but still (laughs) and also like maybe coming out of the weekend I don't feel as uh as proud of that win at Rupp Arena they kind of just suck like Kentucky kind of just sucks they they lost again at home three straight losses at Rupp Gonzaga got them
2: that that just might not have been that good of a win Yeah, first time in decades for them to do that at Rupp or at home. the 60s. Yeah, at home. Oh, no, no, no. I
0: don't think it's ever happened at Rupp Arena. I was going to say because Rupp Arena opened in 76, and the tweet I saw said it's Kentucky's first three-game home losing streak since 1966. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they uh, – boy, they are up in arms. If you have any friends that are uh, fans in Big Blue Nation – just a lot of a lot of puzzling moves. Rob Dillingham sitting most of the second half when he's, and the and the whole notion was there was an argument. Well, he's not good on defense. It's like nobody's good on defense yeah. on that
1: team. Play the guy so, who can score. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> it's it's just flawed logic for
0: sure. Well, it's always a bad sign whenever people start putting together like highlight packages of your failures. <laughs> and I saw one from. Let me check to make sure this guy's legit. Steven Peak, KSR. How many damn KSR guys are there? They got they got a large staff, man. They do. Video producer for Kentucky Sports Radio. Okay, he looks legit. Kentucky has, Have you seen this video? I've seen like three. Kentucky <laughs> has had twenty seven opportunities to tie or win the game since twenty twenty. Did you see how many they've made out of those twenty seven? Slim amount. One.
1: <laughs>
0: they are one in twenty seven in their game-tying or game-winning situations, 1 of 27. And then, yeah, people are highlighting that basically this last year, every time they've had a chance, it's been like, hey, we're going to run this lob alley-oop play. I believe their one shot they made was actually a bank shot, too, from the video I just watched. (laughs) It was a bank shot from the corner, like
2: one you're not actually trying to bank. Well, and if you again, if you talk to a Kentucky fan that said in the second half, Gonzaga, it was just like, Wash, rinse, repeat. They were running the same kind of play scheme at, and you know, Mark Few just, you know, smart coach was like, "Hey, man, it's working. We're stop gonna, it. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna go till you stop us." They just kept pounding it down. Um, it wasn't a bank shot make, by the way. It was a bang shot miss.
0: He made it the next one, so <sighs> never mind.
2: Their one shot was a legitimate one, so good for th- them. They're starting to hover in the eight, nine seed range at the rate they're going.
0: They're in the position where they're going to have to at least like stop the bleeding, or else they're going to miss the tournament. Like th- that's on the. That's on the table for them. Like, I think they're a tournament team. I think they're going to make it, but
2: it's on the table. Their, their remaining schedule, Ole Miss at home, at Auburn, at LSU, Alabama at home, at Mississippi State. They still go, come to Tennessee, too. They've got tough games ahead.
1: It seemed to me it felt like Saturday would have been the classic, like Calipari puts them back on track after they lose two straight home games. Right. Like, how are you going to lose three straight home games? I feel like any team that is – Trying to have some sense of identity would be like, hey guys, let's not lose three straight at home, especially a non conference game.
2: And against arguably one of the weakest, weaker Gunzaga Gonzaga teams. teams. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I bet he's he's regretting scheduling that. That was This was supposed to be their bye week.
1: Did you see his tweets too? People were surfacing back on Calipari's tweets like, nobody wants to come into our arena and, <laughs> and see like yeah. a non conference opponent with 6,000, you know, rowdy
2: fans, whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know. Meanwhile, beat goes on for Alabama. They shot forty-four three-pointers against LSU. Hit close to half of them. Hit eighteen. They're ugh. God. I hate them, but they're they're playing well overall. I know they didn't against Auburn, but
0: I'm really kicking myself for not taking the plus three forty last week. I kept waiting. I kept waiting, and then I didn't. And then I didn't. And now they're favorites. To win it, and their schedule sets up to where they're going to have a good shot. I, I didn't think Tennessee was going to lose at Texas A&M, and that I would have a chance to still take it this week, but now now it's uh, you, you've lost any semblance of value there. It seems like they're going to win the conference right now.
2: Yeah, And then South Carolina, they now have a star in the making. This guy didn't do much against Tennessee, but the last few games, Colin Murray Boyles is true freshman. He is a grown man he uh he had 31 against Vanderbilt. I turned that one on at halftime. They were down 4 against Vandy and then they just lit him up in the second half. I mean, wasn't even close. They're they're good, man. They're they're not going anywhere. I still I don't know how well they'll do in the NCAA tournament, but they're that's a good team.
0: Yeah, no, they they grind you to dust. And, you know, Vanderbilt stinks. Yeah. So I don't want to praise them too much, but that was a game where you were sleepwalking, and the response in the second half
2: alone was impressive. Right. Like, that, that that deserves some credit. That deserves some credit. Were we surprised with Auburn getting rolled in Gainesville? I was a little. I got to give Eli's his, his props. Yeah. He, he bounced back.
0: Now, you know, I don't know if I can give him full props because he's like, hey, I like Auburn in this game, but it might need to be a two-possession spread. So, like, I don't know if I'm giving him full credit for it because there's only a two-and-a-half point spread, so... I don't know if that would have been a take for him. But they did come out and they set the tone early and kicked Auburn's ass. Also, that would have been a really bad beat on the under-over, over-under in the Super Bowl if you would have got it at 46.5 versus 47.5. That would have been tough. Hour two in the books. We'll kick off hour three. We got some winners and losers of the weekend making its return, making its debut here on The Morning Show. We got plenty more to talk about. Stick with us on Fan Run Radio.